and welcome to the Madison Story Slam podcast. I am your host, Adam Rosted. Uh, it's a pleasure to have you here with us again um, on a Story Slam episode. This is actually from last month's Story Slam, uh, the month of March. The theme was the college years, so you're going to hear a lot of stories about college and uh, just that time in our lives. Hey, our next Story Slam is this coming Saturday, April 15th at the Wilmar Center. And the theme is Here Goes Nothing. So come tell a story about a time you pressed on in the face of adversaries. I don't know. It'll be good. Uh, First up, we've got Zachary Shea. Take it away, Zach. Okay, uh, we'll see how this goes, because I actually changed my story at the very last minute, because after a bit of deliberation with my friends, uh, my stories seem to go over better when my penis is in some way a driving force or element (laughs) in the story. I don't know why. it's, It's not a healthy cycle. I say degrading things about my penis, and you guys make me feel good for doing that, so it just is a feedback loop at this point, once a month. Um, But I mean, a lot of my stories from college have that sort of through line of horniness. Not all of them, but it's where I'm usually at my most awkward. So it makes for good, funny stories afterwards. Uh, I was a horny guy... At points, a lot of people were. I mean, at one point, they had to unclog one of the shower drains in the hall I was in because, fun fact, semen is not water-soluble. It just globs. (laughs) And, of course, we all had to meet the guy who had to clean it out, and he was like, please don't. And I was a theater kid, and theater kids are especially horny. I don't know if any of you knew that. Um, I once suggested, actually, that we would all live together in... You know, we could have, like, one of those communal-themed halls for theater kids because they all have weird sleeping hours. We often would stay up late either for projects or for whatever job we do or just because we had bad sleeping habits. And we would all get up late. It would make sense. And one of the women who I, at the time I went to school with, said that she couldn't live with other theater kids because she would sleep with everyone, which is a surprising level of self-awareness mixed with lack of self-control in retrospect. But this story is from my junior year of college, I was in a very bad student-written show, which is a bit of a redundant thing to say. <laughs> it's, uh, college really is just sort of the, this thriving culture of bad young artwork. Um, so, but we had fun. I had fun in it, but I wasn't super invested in it because I knew that it wasn't that great. So we would sort of joke around backstage. We would kid with each other. We weren't very quiet. You're supposed to be quiet. We were watching The Lion King. I don't know why, but someone had projected The Lion King on the wall of the backstage classroom. And we were just hanging out. And one of the actresses in the show, uh, someone I didn't know very well because she actually was a 
she she danced in the show. She came from our dancing department. Uh, she started flirting with me, and not like flirting, like we were talking and hanging out, but like that gross sort of like now young person flirting where like she wouldn't make eye contact with me when we were in the room, but she was sending me text messages, but she wouldn't acknowledge the text messages when we were looking in person. And I'm not very socially like apt, so I'm not sure what's going on. But it finally goes from sort of implicit flirting to explicit flirting. Uh, and we decide that we're going to hang out after the show. A lot of people hang out after the shows, but we were decidedly not going to hang out with everyone else. Which is hard when you're in college and you live with all of your friends. I lived in an apartment with four other theater kids. So a bunch of the theater kids came home afterwards everywhere. Anyway, but we just went to straight to my room. It was sort of an apartment. We had like our communal area and we had our four living areas and then the bathroom. And we just go back there and uh, explicit flirting uh, becomes sort of explicit uh, touching and kissing and yada, yada, yada. yada. You You know the progression. You know how it goes. And the we don't want to like rouse suspicion, so we're trying to be quiet, and the lights are off, and we're starting to get very into it. And she goes, just to warn you, I might be on my period soon. I don't know. I, I, I mean, I didn't care. I was like young, theater, horny, all mixed together. I didn't care. So we just sort of kept going with it anyway, and we're getting... A little bit rambunctious, I'll admit, to being sort of a timid person both in life and in the bed, which is a weird thing to say <laughs> to a crowd of people I know to varying degrees. And she was, she was much more ferocious. It was one of the things, she knew how to dirty talk and I didn't, which is not a good, like combination because she'd be like she'd be like do you want to hurt me and I'm like no what what I are you okay is this too much do I need to clip my fingernails apparently I did need to clip my fingernails because at one point I brought my hand up and we both realized that there was blood on my hand well I mean biology blah 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 it's not technically blood it's the lining of the uterine but it's blood for <laughs> colloquial purposes. So she goes, oh, I think I am on my period. <laughs> so we turn on the lights. And she had what I would call a r- robust flow. <laughs> and I had white sheets. So more than, like, I can tell you that it was, like, one-third of the bed, and it was a small bed, but it was, like, one-third of the bed, like, it was an episode of Dexter filmed in my bedroom, just blood, uterine lining everywhere. And she's like, I gotta go, I'll talk to you tomorrow. Bye. So now I have a decision. Like I said, I lived with a bunch of friends. A bunch of friends were over, and the, the washing machine is not in our room. 
it's down the hall. Or I could just go to bed. (laughs) Don't worry. I decided to go. I I took my sheets. I took... I sh- I, in hindsight, I should have just taken all of the sheets, even the ones that weren't dirty, and just balled them up together, and then no one would have noticed. But I just took the fitted sheet and walked down the hall <laughs> with this bloody sheet <laughs> covered in blood. And my friend even, like, like th- they all saw, and they even made a joke, like, oh, it looks like Zach killed her in there. Ah. <laughs> And one of the people who in there who wasn't really my friend decided to say, that's not what it looks like. (laughs) Thank you, guys. Who's hungry? Thank you for that biology lesson, Zach. Uh, our next storyteller, the last time he was on the stage was January, and uh, he's a hockey player. He goes by Marty, and uh, he won. So again, we have a winner at every story slam, and he won that month and uh, was on the top of the world. He felt like Jack on, in that movie, Titanic, and uh, he was the king of the world. He lives in Appleton, so he drove home that night, and he was just, oh, it's so great. He's having such a good life at that point, and then the next day, he shattered his ankle. So he's going to hobble on up here, give him time, clap the whole time he's trying to hobble. But his name is Marty Sosnowski, and give it up for him. All right. You know, Adam, I didn't know I was breaking rules bringing props because I always have props, man. You got to have props. And I got some tonight. And, and tonight, I'm going to break some more rules because I'm not going to follow the theme. I, I have volunteered to be a judge tonight, so I figured that gave me the ability to not follow the theme since my story is not going to count anyway. I have lots of college story themes or stories about our theme tonight, but... I had this story that I wanted to tell. And so I couldn't get it out of my head, so I went, I'm going to do this tonight. And this story was a story that I had worked up for. uh, There was another storytelling event going on um, right after the, the, the last one that I was here. And this is a, and this theme, I believe, was New Beginnings. So my story tonight is about. The, the Madison Story Slam and getting started in storytelling. And I'm glad that Adam talked about it in the beginning because it is. It's really cool. And my whole life has been just this crazy life, and I just kind of fell into this. And, and I kind of got started in storytelling, and, and I, got, I went to the, to the Lacrosse Storytelling Festival, and they pointed me in the direction of the Madison Story Slam. They said, you want to get started, that's where you go. It's the greatest place. Adam's the greatest guy. So go there. So... In my anxiety-ridden mind of mine, it took several months for me to work up the courage that I was going to sign up and go tell the story. So it came to the, this was uh, not this, uh, so the season before last. It came to the night that the Green Bay Packers were playing in a playoff game. They were playing the, um, the Cardinals. And it's a Saturday night, a night game. And it's like three below outside. And I'm going, awesome. There will be nobody there. <laughs> 
There's going to be nobody at that fucking place. Everybody will be gone. Perfect night. I'm, so, so I see Adam's post on Facebook. And it says, if you want to tell a story, you know, sign up here. And I didn't know how this thing worked. So I just posed the question on Facebook. If someone drove down from Appleton, would they be able to tell a story? Next thing I see on there, yep, you're number 11. And I'm like, oh, my God. And if I do say I'm going to do something, I do it. So there I go. Off to Madison I go. I get here early, like I usually do. Talk to Adam a little bit, get a feel for it. There's nobody here. I'm thinking, sweet, okay, this is going to be cool. And I mean the anxiety is building. So all of a sudden it starts filling up. And it starts filling up and filling up. And pretty soon fucking people, on that night, they were sitting all over the place. The chairs were full. There was people everywhere. Adam prominently gets up on stage and goes, Wow, I don't think we've ever had this many people before. (laughs) And I'm like, are you fucking kidding me? This is impossible. And I mean, if you've never done this before, especially your first time, it's just freaky as hell to get up here and tell a story. And the other thing I'm glad he talked about was I didn't have a funny story. Because to me, this doesn't just about getting laughs or whatever. Storytelling should be about learning things, about about learning about the person, learning about their life. It's so cool. I think it's such a cool thing. And I think it's so cool when there aren't serious stories. So I didn't have a serious story that night. And the first few people that go are just funny as hell. They're funny stories, and I'm just like, oh, my God. But then this lady gets up there, and I'm sure you remember this, Adam. The lady told a story about going on a ski trip out to Colorado with her boyfriend. The, the theme was humiliation. She told this story about going on this trip and getting a snot beat out of her by her boyfriend and how humiliated she was that she wasn't able to tell anybody and get help that night or that particular time that she needed. And the whole place was just like, boom. And she won that night. And I was like, perp. I go, this storytelling shit, is, this is for me. Because I was glad that, that I, I got to experience that right away in the beginning because not all stories are, are, are just funny, crazy stories. Some are serious, some are funny. Now, some of the other things, I, I've also did a one-man show since I started this, which is just as scary as hell. Get up on stage and talk for an hour and a half and try to keep people's interest. But I pulled that off. Another thing is some of the great storytellers I've met and some of the experiences I've had. One time, it was at the beginning of this year, I had decided to break the rules again, and I wasn't going to follow the theme. And I came with this super serious story that I worked on so hard. I've never tried anything like this. It was so friggin' serious. And I get here, and I, was, I almost backed out of it because it was, it was too... I thought maybe I couldn't pull it off. So I'm going along... And everything's working out good. And I think I'm doing pretty good on the story. And I get to this part. I mean, this is a very serious story for it. It was really hard to do. And I get working on it. And all of a sudden, I get to the part where there's a box of Lucky Charms in the story. And I still got the box, Lucky Charms. And I pull it out. And what happens? My friend Mel starts laughing at the box of Lucky Charms. And this story is supposed to be so friggin' serious, and it took so much for me to keep it together. And if you know Mel, she's got the craziest laugh that you just know it. Yeah, I didn't even have to look to see if it was her. I'm just going, Mel's laughing at the box of Lucky Charms. Are you fucking kidding me? So I thought maybe that if you just want to get her to laugh, you just pull out a box of Lucky Charms, and she'd be good. So 
And the other thing that about this new beginning thing is, is these storytellers that I've gotten to know, you get to know, you learn. You learn shit that you'll never imagine that you're going to learn. As some of you remember, do you guys remember the Ukrainian guy that was here the last time I was here? And he told a story about, about growing up in Ukraine. Now he gave me a bit of information that could have been so useful to me and my father in my life that... If you're going to pee your pants, if you just wear black pants, most people don't even know you peed your pants. Now, why didn't somebody tell you learn? Those are the things you learn right here at Madison Story Slam. I never knew that. I never knew that. Boy, could that have been useful. And then he topped it off with, if you happen to have black pants on, pee your pants. If you're in a building that leaks, they'll never know. So I'm already thinking, I'm getting pretty old, so I'm starting to look at assisted living. I'm finding a place with a leaky roof because I got, I got this covered. I got this covered now. And those are the things you learn. Another thing I learned at the, in fact, I think this was at the last one too, is Maria, one of our favorite storytellers who's not here tonight. I learned that a hoodie by itself can be an outfit. I had, I had no frigging idea. Now, this woman is gorgeous. You, this woman is gorgeous. And she's always dressed gorgeous. And she tends to wear very short skirts most of the time. And apparently, I, I don't know. I don't know if this was a hoodie or if it was really a dress or whatever. But as she started to go up on stage, I just kind of thought she forgot her pants. I really did. I thought, well, Maria's having a tough night. She forgot her pants. So from now on, I'm bringing pants with me. I wish she was here. Because from now on, I got pants for Maria just in case that she forgets them again. But like I said, things you're going to learn at Madison Story Slam that you'll never learn anywhere else. My friend Zachary, who was just up here, the first person in my life I've ever met from Massachusetts. Never met anybody from that part of the country before. Now, I don't know if everybody from that area is kind of like him. But I'm going to tell you one thing about Zach. I know more about that man's penis than I ever wanted to know. I'm telling you what, I'm pretty sure that in my mind, I can, I've never seen his penis, but I think I know what it looks like. I'm pretty sure. Because for some reason, people from Massachusetts, I guess, like to tell stories about their penis. I'm not really sure how that works. It's just him? Okay. Now, <laughs> now I don't know. His, this girl that's been hanging out with him, now I haven't heard her tell a story yet, but I got a funny feeling if she came up here, she might have some stories about his penis too. I don't really know. But I'm telling you, you the things you learn at the Madison Story Slam, how, how are you ever, you run to this guy on the street, he's not going to, you know, where do you learn this stuff? So that's what, that's what my new beginning story is. It, it's about, it really is. It's so much about, about this. And, and it's, about, it's, it's about community and it's about building these things. And it's so much fun. And all of you guys, all of you guys have been so helpful. It, you've, you've reinvented the meat man. You know, he didn't, Adam didn't, some of you are new, don't know me as the meat man. But it's been a reinvention of my life. I was kind of at a stagnant place in my life. Had a, a crazy life and I'm kind of wondering where it's going to go. And I landed here. And I couldn't be in a better place. Thank you all.
thank you so much, Marty. Um, I was thinking during Marty's story, not that uh, this is a weird uh, category to put Marty in, but I think of Marty as a success story from Madison Story Slam. I, I, that sounds so weird to say because we're not trying to like save people or anything. But, you know, he, he kind of touched on that he was kind of in a weird place when he first took this stage. Was it a year ago? Just Yeah, so one year ago. Yeah. Right? One year ago. Like, yeah, I was right. Maybe on the success story. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> he kind of touched on that he was kind of in a weird place. And, like, he and I never really talked about that. But, Marty, you're a guy that, that I feel like is, I can read you pretty well. And I remember meeting Marty and, and thinking, he seemed kind of lost. I don't know if that's true at all. But you seemed kind of lost. And... Um, I, I've, I've known that, that this means a lot to you. Because, I mean, you come from Appleton every month. So it's got to mean a lot to you. Uh, but to hear that tonight um, was really good for me, personally. Uh, it's really easy for me to walk away from these nights and have, it, have a blast. And then a week later kind of think, I'm so tired. I am just exhausted. And I'm, I don't know if I want to keep doing this every month. Um, because I love, I do love uh, building community. I love that uh, when I'm speaking into this microphone, I feel like I have a direct connection to each and every one of you. And when I share things from my life, I feel like we grow together. And I, I don't know many of your names, but I do feel like you're my friend. And uh, on a deeper level than, than, than it seems, than it appears on the surface. But... You asked me uh, earlier tonight if I was going to continue this next year. And I told you, I just don't know. I just, I'm hoping that this summer I feel rejuvenation and can continue it. And uh, I am rejuvenated. Um, So thank you very much. Uh, moving right along uh, from that serious moment that I just had with one person in the crowd. <laughs> um, I, again, I'm just really touched. Uh, so our next storyteller, uh, Marty, talked about, and uh, she's wonderful and always has great stories to tell. So please put your hands together for Mel Hammond. When I got accepted into grad school, um, I told my academic advisor that I would be moving to Manhattan, Kansas, and her response was, oh, why would you want to move to Kansas? And I kind of had the same feeling. I was really dreading Kansas. I'd been living in Roanoke, Virginia, which is beautiful and mountainous, and I was moving to the stark brown flat Kansas. But I actually really had a great time in Kansas. One of the reasons was that it was dirt cheap to live there. Um, So I moved into an apartment with a a couple of other grad students. And I played like, I don't know, 350 in rent or something. It was lovely. Um, And I lived in this second floor apartment. And there was 
a balcony on the outside and you had to walk up the stairs to the balcony and then you could enter on the second floor. Um, the other thing that was dirt cheap besides rent was booze. So we were always really stressed. So um, most of the people in the program were also teachers. We taught um, college writing. And so all week we were teaching classes and grading papers and reading for our classes and write, writing papers. So every Friday night we would go down to Aggieville, which was the bar district, and we would drink. Um, so on one particular night, I um, had spent the day working, and then I got home and I made myself a meal. Um, I was like in a chili phase at that time, um, but really I couldn't make anything chili as long as it was like goopy and had chili powder in it. So this chili was like sweet potatoes and spinach and chili powder, and that was it. <laughs> but I was like, mmm, chili. <laughs> So I ate my chili, and then I uh, went out uh, with my best friend Sam. We met up with the other grad students at our favorite bar. Um, it's called Auntie May's, and it used to be a speakeasy. So it's really cramped. There's a, a top floor um, when you walk in. There's a couple pool tables, and there's a small bar up there, and then you can go downstairs to the basement, um, where there's always a ton of people and you kind of have to like elbow your way through people. But that particular night, we had a friend who was working the upstairs bar. So we were hanging out up there. And the awesome thing about having a friend at the bar is that he can make you special drinks. So he always put in a little extra in our drinks, which, and they were already dirt cheap. So, I don't know, you could, you could get like a, a pint of beer for $4 or like a mixed drink for three fifty or something like that. And then on top of that, he, he would just like give you tons of alcohol in it. Um, I didn't always want that because it, it made it gross. Um, <laughs> So usually, but like I didn't, I didn't want to let on that I was like a wuss. So I would, we would always go to him and I would say, yeah, you know, give, give me whatever. Um, so on that particular night, my friend Sam and I both just asked for his recommendations. We were both feeling something really colorful. Like, you know, you just get in that mood, right? Like you want a really colorful drink. So he's like, how about a purple tarantula? And we're like, we don't know what that is. Sure, I loved purple. Um, so it sounded delicious. So um, he, he gave us a drink. It was, it was pretty tall. It wasn't your normal like one-shot mixer. Um, we didn't know what it was. So we drank it. We were hanging out still upstairs, planning to go downstairs um, to where most of the action was. Um, but Sam and I look at each other after we're done with our drinks, and we're just like, feeling out of it. We're like, what is going on? Um, so we're, we're thinking like, ah, you know, maybe we should just call it a night and go home. Um, it's really cold out. Um, it's winter. It doesn't get as cold in Kansas as it does here, but it was, it was pretty cold for Kansas. Um, so we, we didn't want to walk home, so we asked a friend to drive us. And by this time, I'm really feeling like something's about to explode out of my mouth, and I, I need to leave. <laughs> so we, we get out of the bar, and um, our friend John and Bryn are taking us home. 
and I, I'm in the front seat. I've rolled the window down, and I'm like putting my face out so that the cold air will hit me. I'm just not feeling good. I can't even open my eyes. So I'm like, what was in that purple tarantula? Um, so we, he drops me off first because I'm closest to barfing. Um, <laughs> John helps me out of the car um, and then up the stairs to my second floor apartment. So like I said, it's, it's outside. It's a balcony entrance. So we go up the stairs. I hand him my key, and he's like fumbling with the door. And I turn around to the balcony and just projectile vomit over the edge down to the first floor. And then he's like, you feel better? And I answer by projectile vomiting again (laughs) over the balcony onto the first floor. And then I did feel much, much better. So we go inside. I rinse my mouth out and immediately pass out on the bed. And John returns to the car and goes and takes Sam home. Um, I woke up the next morning feeling awesome. And um, I was like, oh, man, it's probably good that I threw up that terrible purple tarantula. Otherwise, I would have a terrible hangover today. So I'm making my breakfast, got some oatmeal going. And then um, I decide to, like, check outside to see how cold it is. And I look, and there's there's some ice outside the door. (laughs) And it's a little chunky. So I, I... bend down to examine it, and it's full of what looks like spinach and sweet potatoes (laughs) in chunks, and it's frozen onto the wood balcony. And then I look over the side of the balcony, and there are icicles. (laughs) (laughs) And they are also full of chunks of spinach and sweet potatoes. And then I look all the way over the balcony to the first floor, and there is a pile of frozen vomit on my downstairs neighbor's porch. (laughs) So I kind of, like, kick at it. Um, One of the icicles I, like, break off um, with my hand, and it shatters on the ground below. But I, like, can't get this frozen puddle off with my foot. So I'm, like, really not sure what to do because it's, it's below freezing. I I, I don't know, it's not going to melt today. So I go back inside, and I boil a pot of water, <laughs> and I, I get a rag, and I slowly I go outside, and I slowly pour the boiling water onto the puddle of vomit, and the liquid part melts, um, but like the, the chunky stuff, I kind of just have to scoot <laughs> off the balcony and it splats onto the ground below. Um, and then <laughs> and I keep having to go back inside and boil more water because I, I didn't have a super big pot um, and I needed a lot of water. So eventually, I, what I'm left with is a pile of sweet potatoes and um, spinach on my downstairs neighbor's porch. Um, and it keeps freezing. Bet- like, every time I go back inside, it'll, like, freeze a little more. So finally, I um, just take, <laughs> I get my last pot of boiling water, and I um, pour it onto the pile that's left on my downstairs neighbor's porch. And then, um, so it's all melted, and I scoop it all up with my hands and throw it into the grass. 
And uh, that's how I cleaned up my icicle vomit. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> So who's hungry? I ask for the second time this evening. Please put your hands together for Tom Schmidt. Hello. Um, so uh, I grew, started college in 1965 in Milwaukee. And... Uh, so uh, in January, I turned 70, which is a big deal to me. I like it. Um, and uh, so when I started school, uh, the uh, intent was for me to be, uh, to go into uh, engineering. And, um, but uh, there was calculus involved with that. And uh, as a result, uh, I became a fine arts major. <laughs> and I did well. So it worked out fine. And uh, any of the creativity that, uh, that I, uh, I guess, picked up from that experience, I used in my business. I was a, a carpenter, and I had employees. And uh, so the, any creativity involved with that. I haven't done a, a painting or sculpted anything for about 30 years now. And, uh, but I'm retired now, so maybe I'll start doing it again. Um, I worked at the student newspaper, and... Uh, uh, that's where I uh, met my wife. And uh, so anyway, the, Lynn and I uh, experimented a little bit with drugs while we were in school. Uh, me a little bit more than Lynn. And uh, she uh, uh, taught me a few things, uh, one of which is um, if you continue with this mescaline, I'm leaving. <laughs> and... Uh, so anyway, that uh, uh, we've been married now for uh, 48 years, so I, I got smart enough to listen to her. Um, so when Lynn and I first uh, made contact with each other uh, socially, we were at a party. I knew her because we had worked at the uh, uh, newspaper. She was on a date with the editor of the newspaper, and... Uh, uh, we were drinking, having a good time, but I overheard her say to um, this guy, uh, I don't feel well, I want to go home. And uh, so I offered to drive her home because he refused to do it. Um, like I said, I'd been drinking. <laughs> and uh, I, I had a car at that time, and I drove, her, I drove her home. And I don't remember the trip back at all. I blacked out completely. Um, the car got back okay. Um, I must have ended up in, in my apartment. Uh, but uh, so the drinking aspect of and throwing up, um, I've done it only twice in my life. But <laughs> there, there's a reason for it. You, after a while, you start thinking. <laughs> and I don't like throwing up. Um, so... Lynn and I, as a result of that, we started hanging out with each other. Uh, one night uh, on Halloween, my sister Marcia, who is younger than I am, and uh, she was the live wire in our family and was always in trouble, 
uh, told my parents that she was going to be staying at my apartment. Uh, she never showed up. But the next day, my parents wanted to know where she was, so they came to my apartment. I was also not at my apartment. Um, my roommate answered the door in his underwear, <laughs> and my parents uh, liked him, so I guess it wasn't a problem. And then they wanted to know where I was. And they, uh, Phil said that, uh, well, he might be next door. So uh, the apartment building next door was where Lynn lived with a couple of other women. And Lynn and I had uh, uh, been doing drugs that night. <laughs> and, uh, uh, but we weren't, uh, we weren't having sex at that time. Uh, but we were in bed together. And she was fully clothed and I was fully clothed. And my parents knocked on this apartment door, and, and one of Lynn's roommates answered the door, and they, she went, my parents said, well, is Tom there? And she said, no. But my jacket was laying on the couch, and the, and the jacket was a certain pattern that was me. And so my parents said, yes, he is. No, he isn't. And they, they barged in. And then they started going through all the bedrooms. And... And I was in one of them with Lynn, and Lynn was laying on her stomach, and her hair was all over her head. She couldn't see her, their, her face. And I heard my parents, I mean, they were, they were ranting. They were screaming. And I woke up, and there they were. And Lynn wisely kept her face down. <laughs> but I was still, I was still, in a, I don't know where I was, but I certainly was not aware and, and they, said, they said, who is that woman or that girl? And I said, I don't know. <laughs> and then they stormed out of the place. This, I'm calling the cops. This is a whorehouse and on and on and on. And I was third story and they're stomping down the stairs and I'm hanging over you know, the balcony, <laughs> and, uh, and saying, no, it's no problem, you know, I got my clothes on, and, you know, so on and so forth, and anyway, they're gone. So Lynn and I talked for a little while, and uh, we decided that at that point, well, if they think we're doing it, let's start. <laughs> and uh, so for, uh, you know, for two years, Lynn and I were pretty active, and... Uh, <laughs> And, and then we got married, and we continued being active. Um, so anyway, that's some of college for me, okay? I had a good time. Uh, I got good grades. I figured out how to work the draft. Um, now, this is something that I'm going to say, okay? This is not part of the story, but it's something that um, we have a few older people here, so... This is not so much for you guys or whoever else is older, but this is for the younger people in the group, okay? So, now I'm 70, and my wife is 70, and as disturbing as it is when I tell my children I have a son and a daughter, when I say to them, your mom and I are having sex and enjoying it, they go, yeah. Stick their fingers in their ears. And what I want to say to all of you people 
is that your parents and your grandparents <laughs> stick your fingers in your ears, <laughs> but it's something to look forward to. That's all I got to say. Does anybody else want to get up here and share some weird personal shit? (laughs) Jeez. I really thought with the college years, we'd be past this, that it wouldn't be like this. (laughs) Anybody going to prison that they want to talk about? Tom, that last bit was really weird. So, uh, (laughs) it was totally out of left field. I actually think Tom was just bragging. Hey, guys. I'm 70, still getting laid. No big deal. I, I, I want to meet Lynn and tell her that you told us all that. I, oh, man. That is fantastic. Our next storyteller is Alyssa Ross, so please clap for Alyssa. Uh, you don't have you don't have to worry about this getting uh, too personal, I guess. But uh, <laughs> the vomit is still in this one. Uh, <laughs> when uh, so, I want to get two things out of the way real quick. I was an RA. Uh, one thing about being an RA is you learn, and uh, in, in the stories about being an RA, um, you learn how to what it's kind of like to be the rule enforcer when you don't really have a choice because you're paid and like have to live there and. You know, um, but then also you kind of have, I don't know, I feel like one thing I learned from it was that you have a mutual respect for when someone comes up to you and is trying to enforce a rule that you're clearly breaking, and you're like, all right, okay, and then you learn to back off, at least for me. The other thing um, that is important for this story is, and I just want to get this cleared up, I went to The Ohio State University. I know a lot of people from this area do not like Ohio State, and especially if you don't like Ohio State football, you know, that might make the story a little bit better. So, <laughs> um, I was an RA for a very interesting dorm where uh, it was a weird hodgepodge of transfer students, um, international students, masters, PhD students, and athletes, which included the football players. Um, and usually it was actually pretty quiet because everyone already had their friend groups. And so it wasn't like a community of like, yeah, let's make friends and be freshmen and like meet everybody. It was closed doors very often. And it was kind of hard to be an RA, um, for the, if you're me and like the fluffy stuff. So with, um, with this particular dorm, I, you know, we also had different buildings. So when we went on rounds, we actually had to go outside, which was really annoying and we, uh, they had houses that like was based on their housing programs, and um, and then we had a particular one that we had to go like a block over and across the street, and it was like I, I feel like half the other artists didn't even go to it, um, and it was kind of, and that was probably that was actually the first uh, pot incident that I had was at that dorm. It was a lot of people who just decided that like transferred into Ohio State or. Um, 
it, it was just interesting. Anyway, um, this story, though, I am also one of those squares who didn't really drink very much until I almost became of age. Until So I, when I was an RA, was like still learning how, like, like I didn't drink very much, so like one beer would really get to me. And uh, one time I, I remember I uh, was coming home and... I uh, I had had a, like one or two drinks and I was feeling kind of buzzed and I was like okay well whatever like it's fine cause whatever and I was going home and I saw two of my favorite football players who were my residents and I knew they were going to my floor um, and I saw them going they had one I don't know if you guys have this at UW but like the giant move-in carts that are like they're like squarish and red and you can like, you know, fit a whole keg in it <laughs> or <laughs> you can fit a whole I don't know what in it. So I saw my my two favorite football players with one of these cards going into the building from the courtyard. I was in the courtyard and our building is shaped kind of like an L. The rest of it is not, but the part that I'm talking about is that's around the courtyard. And they were going into the elbow part of the building where the elevator was. There was two elevators, but that's where one of them was. And I lived on the second floor, so I was like, all right, well, if I go to the far part of the L, then um, I'm not going to beat them back to their room because their room was near the closer part of the L that I was at currently. So I quickly ran up the stairs um, and so, and I saw that I hadn't beat them yet because they were taking the, those elevators are so freaking slow. <laughs> but uh, I saw, so then I, I knew that I had beat them and my room was like actually right at the corner of the hall and it was um, not even like 90 degrees with the wall, like the door jutted out of the hallway. And so I just stood, I knew they were coming and I just stood there, you know, like, because when, when I saw them at first, my heart completely sank. And I was like, oh, gosh, they have, like, I don't know. I was just imagining the worst. Like, when you're, when you're in this position, you think that, like, you know, you, this is something you're going to have to take care of. And you just think this is going to be the hardest day of your job as an RA. And so, again, all these thoughts are racing through my mind. And I'm standing at my door, kind of just like, all right, here it comes. <laughs> and, and they come by with the cart. One of them has his phone, and he's videotaping the entire thing. <laughs> and and the, the other one's pushing the cart. And then I realize there's two legs that are sticking up out of the cart. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, my God, is that a dead body? Like, what is going on? <laughs> and, and it's moving. And, and then, the, you know, they get to my door, and it's right in front of me. And the guy is covered in his own vomit. And his legs are sticking up, and it's just disgusting, and it's, like, kind of soaking into his clothes. And I'm like, oh, my... And he's completely knocked out. I'm like, oh, my goodness. Like, I, uh, I don't even know what to do. Oh, my God. And um, it was really freaky. And the guy with the video camera is just like... He's like, oh, and hey, this is our RA. Like, <laughs> yeah, cool. Like, I'm on TV. Like, <laughs> no, I was completely, like... Is he okay? Like, what you know? What do you guys need me to do? Do you need me to call for help? I'm totally willing to like keep you guys anonymous and go on the whole spiel of an RA life. And, um, and they're like, no, he's good. He's actually. And I saw he he had just woken up because they had to stop the cart. 
And uh, so then um, I was like, all right, well, you know, make sure you take care of them. I'll, I'll be here. You know, I'm not going anywhere else, so let me know. And, uh, yeah, he was fine. So on, so on the next day, and he was fine. So, but that's my story. Thank you, Alyssa. Apparently, it, it is vomit and sex night at Madison Story Slam. So maybe to keep that train rolling, please put it up for our next storyteller, uh, Joe Malloy. Hi. Um, so I don't know anybody here tonight, so I figured the first thing I should introduce myself. Uh, my name is Joe Malloy. Uh, I do a little improv here. If you guys are familiar with like the glass nickel down on Atwood um, in the monkey business, and I'm in my first play uh, with Madison Theater Guild at the end of April. Thank you. Uh, so I moved to Madison about a year ago. I moved here from Seattle, uh, and I only lived there for about four months. And while I was there, I was pursuing stand-up comedy. Uh, So I figured tonight would be a great time to tell the story of my first stand-up comedy performance, which happened in college and was awful. (laughs) Um, So I I went to college in Michigan. Uh, It's a good segue to take off my jacket because it's warm. Um, When I went to school, when I went to school, I had no idea what I wanted to go to. Uh, what, what I was going there for. I just listened to the advice of everybody who said, go to school, you know, uh, you'll figure it out while you're there, parents, teachers, so it's like, you know, six figures in debt, ten years and no degree later. I'm obviously really happy I made that decision to go to school. Um, but, but really it was because I had a good time, and when I went there, my whole goal was just to have fun. Uh, and I did. Uh, like four years, five years, six years there, Um, with me and four friends, and and a lot of that fun included drinking. And like I said, the whole time I never had any idea of what I wanted to do until the last year of school, I met this very nice girl, just the sweetest person I could could ever imagine, and we instantly became best friends, spent every day together. And she was very ambitious. She wanted to be a physician's assistant, a PA, which is a very secure, great job, and our our whole families thought we were going to get married, um, spoiler, we didn't because I said we thought. Um, so, <clears throat> uh, my last couple months of school, we met, and then I, I didn't have any plans, but I just knew I wanted to stay and spend more time with her. So I did, and I we would spend all these. All my friends were gone by that time, so we'd spend all these evenings watching stand up. And I just told her one night, like, I I think I can do this. I really like this, and I think I can do this. And she just said, then you should. Um, She was very encouraging. So I signed up for, it was the the following summer, and I signed up for an open mic. It was at this little coffee shop, like the cool hipstery coffee shop right off campus. And I worked in the same building at a credit union. So I knew all the people there, and I I told them all I was going to do it. And and I, I was obviously really nervous to do it. Uh, my first time ever being on stage. I'd never done anything on stage before. So I asked them, I was like, is there a lot of stand-ups that come do it? A lot of people tell comedy. And they said, yeah, all the time. Uh, they fucking lied. <laughs> so <clears throat> I went my, that night, and I wasn't the first stand-up that night. I was the first stand-up to do it ever at that place there. 
just terrible. If you're ever familiar with anything at all in that world, you don't want to be the only person telling jokes in between a bunch of other talented people playing music. <laughs> Nobody wants to hear it. Um, and on top of that, a usual stand-up set is like three to five minutes. They gave me 30 minutes. <laughs> yeah, I know. It was awful, awful. So I was incredibly nervous, and I figured, you know what? I'll just tell the story about the drunkest time I was ever, ever got in college. We'd been a shit show for four years. It'll have to be funny. So I'll share a little bit of a sort of condensed story. Um, so I went to college at Central Michigan University, a notorious party school with not much else going on, um, which was perfect for me. That was all I wanted to do and not have anything else going on. So that particular day, we, spent, we had a football game, so we spent all morning drinking. We stayed for the first half of football and then left, which was pretty normal because we wanted to keep drinking. So then we went to a friend's house, spent all afternoon drinking. And then one of my four roommates said, um, you know, I, I got invited to this party. I don't really know the girl. I slept with her and never talked to her again. But she invited us to a party. Do you want to go? And I said, Yes, pal, that seems like a wonderful idea. Um, so we went, and uh, hypothetically, if I weren't 21, I would have had to have a friend buy booze, so I'm not going to admit to that. So hypothetically, we asked a friend to buy us booze, and we walked towards this party, and it was at the next apartment complex over. So from her front door, I could see my apartment. That'll be important in a minute. Um, we didn't know where we were going, so we walked over there, and we came in like this little valley of grass, and then up, and we had pointed ourselves directly at her door. And as we were crossing like the parking lot right to get there, our buddy pulled up and handed us a bottle of uh, Captain Morgan's Long Island Iced Tea Mix. We had been drinking all day, so we figured, you know, it's a little lighter. It's about like 15% alcohol, so it's like a wine or something. So we figured this would be good. This would be great. Um, so we go into the party, and we pour ourselves a couple glasses, and, you know, we're drinking ours. About an hour later, I finish my drink, and I go to the freezer to grab another one. I open the door, I see the Captain Morgan, put it in my cup, fill up a whole cup, and I tip it back. And as I do it, I taste and simultaneously hear the birthday girl behind me say, Who drank all my Captain Morgan? It was realized it was... Just pure liquor in my cup. A whole cup of pure liquor now all in my mouth. And I was right in front of the sink, so I did the smartest thing I could do, which was swallow all of it, <laughs> turn around and say, that sucks, I don't know. <laughs> and so shortly after we left, I was obviously shit-faced. Um, we walked out of her apartment, and on the ground... I saw a bicycle. Now, one of my other roommates had gotten into this habit of stealing bikes and putting, placing them all around our campus, all around our complex, and then in our apartments. We had three bikes in our apartment, four around our, our complex situated very strategically. So I thought he would think it would be hilarious if I rode a bike home. Remember, I can see my apartment. So I got on the bike... And the next thing I remember, I was taking, reaching, stepping under barbed wire and taking one step onto the freeway three and a half miles away from my apartment. <laughs> 
So I turned around and called my friends and said, hey, come find me. Where are you? I don't know. Come find me. We did figure out the next morning, we traced my steps back. I had blurry visions. We, had, we did this thing called time traveling, uh, which is you black out, and then, but you don't pass out. And then you wake up, come back two hours later with no recollection of how you got there. Uh, so you can use that. Time traveled from that party to the freeway. But I had spotty memories, so we traced it all back. And sure enough, found the bike the next morning, tipped over in a cornfield with two flat tires and about 50 feet away from the freeway. So that's the story I told my first stand-up gig. Um, And it went awful. It was the worst thing I've ever done. Um, And I, I will proudly say, though, that night, I did not throw up. The night I told the story, I did throw up. Immediately after, I did about 10 minutes, and then I ran off stage, threw up twice out the back door. I was very nervous. Uh, and it was, it was awful. Yeah, that's, that's appropriate. Nobody in the whole room was laughing except for one sweet girl who was not the girl that I had mentioned. Uh, I didn't invite her that night because I was so nervous to do it that I, I didn't want her there. I figured she wouldn't think I was funny anymore and uh, she wouldn't encourage me to do it anymore. So I didn't invite her and she's never seen me do anything like this. Uh, and two months later, after that, I moved to Seattle to pursue a dream of stand-up comedy. And I've never seen her since. Uh, and I take little opportunities like this uh, to come on stage whenever I can, wherever I can, to hopefully one day feel as comfortable up here as I did back in college hanging out with her. Thanks, Joe. Our next storyteller, it's his first time at Story Slam tonight, so give a rousing and arousing. There we go. On theme, on theme with tonight, give an arousing round of applause for Tyler Albright. Is beer a prop? Can I keep my beer up here? Is beer a prop? Cool. This might end poorly, but... So, I don't know how many of you are from Madison, but Freakfest is a big thing around here. You guys done Freakfest on state. So every year, me and my buddies, we dress up and go to Freakfest. And it's a good time. Um, a few years ago, we went as Zoolander characters. I don't know if you guys seen the movie. Yeah. Uh, I was Hansel. My buddy Austin was Zoolander. And then our buddy was Mugatu. And he was a very convincing Mugatu. He had like the, all those crazy glasses. And he had a sweater that said Mugatu on it. That <laughs> helps a lot. And uh, at some point through the night, we lose him. He's got to go find his girlfriend or something. And when so it was just Austin and I left together. And as it turns out, when you're two guys wearing blouses, eyeliner, and sequined maternity pants from St. Finney's, <laughs> you're just a couple of drunk transvestites wandering down State Street. And it was a very bizarre night. And then, let's see, uh, two years later... I went as Miley Cyrus. That was the year that um, Wrecking Ball came out. Thank you. And so I had the white yoga pants on, the white 
crop top. And it was a fun night. I had to spend more of the night destroying any evidence that the night existed than actually twerking as I should have done. <laughs> but uh, so I woke up in that next morning, that halfway between like that oh, super hungover and super drunk phase and stumbled into the bathroom, and I still had that really weird hair get-up that she has in the video. So the first thing I had to do was give myself a haircut. The sides of my hair right now are about as long as they were then. And I was still really drunk, like I said, and I took the razor, put the guard on it, and didn't put the guard on right, and shaved just like three inches straight to the skull and just like took it off. So what do you do in that situation? Just shaved the whole thing. Just took the whole, all of my hair right off. It was not a good look. And to this day, she doesn't credit me, but I got there first. I made the look there first. And, and but over like the course of 12 hours, I got to be batshit coked up insane Miley and batshit crazy Miley. It was like the best of both worlds. It was great. <laughs> and then, uh, let's see. Last year, we went, as, we went to a combination party. So you had to like combine two things, and we in a burst of inspiration. I'm not a very creative person, but I came up with we mashed together Star Wars and Wayne's World. So I was Garth Vader, and my buddy was Obi Wayne Kenobi. That's that whole story. I was just really proud of that. <laughs> and let's see, between Miley and Zoolander, we went as shitty superheroes. Leland, my other, our other friend, was shitty He Man. I was shitty Aquaman. Uh, for those of you counting, that's three years in a row I wrote tight, or tights. And then Austin went as still the best costume I've ever seen. He was midlife crisis Batman. And this was the year that Dark Knight Rises came out, so like everyone is wearing a Batman costume. And he's got a mask on, a beer stained wife beater, and just like aggressively cut off jorts. And the whole night, we're on State Street, and he's, like, finding these guys dressed as Batman, running up to them going, this is you in 20 years. <laughs> and we're, still, we're hanging out, we're having a great time, and at some point he finds this big, angry, roided-up Bane. Just the guy that fit the costume really well, but he was a very angry guy. And he spends the whole rest of the night stalking this guy from party to party, up straight Street on, cock-blocking this guy. And he would, he would, like, find a new girl, go up to her, start chatting her up, and Austin would run her up and try to, like, challenge him to feats of strength. They're like, show me what's under the mask, and nonsense like that. <laughs> the guy was just livid, getting so pissed. Uh, it wasn't the wingman he wanted, but it was the one he deserved. <laughs> Thanks, Tyler. Uh, I have an idea for a movie. I've had it for a few years where Batman is basically like an a angry old man. And uh, it basically Clint Eastwood's character from Gran Torino. <laughs> and it, it stars Clint Eastwood as Bruce Wayne. And he's given up Batman. But one last thing happens where he gets called out of retirement. And for some reason, that reminded me of that. But it, wouldn't that be great to see Clint Eastwood now as Batman, as an aging Batman? Nobody. Nobody cares about that movie idea. No. All right, I'll make it. Um, we're starting the crowdfunding tonight. Uh, next up, we have Austin Carey, so please clap your hands for Austin. I 
It's my first time. Please be gentle. Uh, so I grew up in Madison, about a block from Camp Randall. And my dad had the luxury of walking or biking every day to his job at the Wildlife Ecology Department. Naturally, I learned to bike when I was four years old. And by the time I was 18 and going to college at UW, I was way too overconfident in my biking abilities. So I had a lot of classes at the engineering hall. And there's an intersection right near there that I would bike through every day, a corner of Johnson University and Old University. And you don't notice this when you're in a car, but on a bike, you'll notice that you take a turn right as you cross railroad tracks. And railroad... <laughs> I think you know where this is going, yeah. And railroad tracks have a little gap in them. It's a perfect size to fit a bike wheel in. So if you take that turn, as I did, you can be turning, and at one moment you're turning, and one moment your bike isn't turning, you still are, and you're on the road. Uh, that happened to me, and I reported it, and I, there's still not a sign at the intersection. Um, later on, so I was in the UW band, I played the euphonium, which is like a small tuba. Not that small, but... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and, and I'd always carry it to, to practice. Um, I'd be biking, and I'd have it on my side, and every time my leg went around and knock against my leg. It was really annoying. Um, so I got in the habit of carrying it out in front of me like this uh, and biking no-handed because it was, it was easier. And that, that worked for like a year. Uh, <laughs> and then one time it didn't work and my music was sliding and I was overcorrecting and I kind of ended up in a puddle on the road. Um, and I had the misfortune of having... I didn't get seriously injured. I've never really gotten seriously injured. Um, but the parents of another kid in band saw it, and they tried to help me up. I was fine. Uh, they told everyone in band, just like 300 people. <laughs> so, um, yeah. And I've done a lot of drunk biking, and I'm not proud of that. I don't do that anymore. Uh, I've never crashed while drunk, though, so statistically I should drink before I start biking. Uh, <laughs> I had the worst accident ever actually not on my bike. Uh, I went to the field house. I was performing uh, for a women's volleyball game. They had volleyball games and wrestling events there. And I locked my bike up on the fence, but it's not my usual fence, because that one are covered in bikes. Uh, and it turns out this fence is a weird fence. This fence moves. Uh, this fence is a gate that opens and closes like cars into a parking lot. Uh, and... <laughs> and as it started trying to move, it hit my bike and started bending it. <laughs> and I came back out, and um, it was kind of, it was just, it wasn't super bent, but it was at an angle. And I rode it for like a week, and then I brought it into the bike shop, uh, unrelated. I wanted to get a new chain, and they were like, you can't, you can't ride that bike. It's going to fall apart. <laughs> Your bike's totaled. <laughs> so I got another one. Um, <laughs> Uh, another accident I have, this, I'll end on this one. Um, I had a midterm at the top of Bascom Hill. And the best part of having a test on Bascom Hill is that I'd get out and I'd get on my bike and coast down that hill. And I felt so free and alive after suffering through a test. Um, this was a particularly hard midterm. It was like Calc 2 or 3. Um, and I was sleep deprived. I'd been studying all night. And I'd get out of the test and I'd get on my bike and start biking down the hill. 
Uh, it's a pretty steep hill, as you may know, so I'm going pretty fast, and there's a bus in front of me that stops. <laughs> and I, uh, I hit the back of the bus really hard. Uh, <laughs> I, I was kind of like my head was down, I was exhausted, and bounced off, and, and I'm still standing. <laughs> And I'm fine. <laughs> like, someone's like, hey, you okay? I'm like, yeah. <laughs> I'm fine. Uh, and I just kept biking home. <laughs> so that's all I got. Thanks for listening. <laughs> Thanks, Austin. We're going to break away from the three, then break. We're going to do one more, and then we'll take a break. So please put your hands together for Amelia Mitrot or Mitrot? Mitrot? There we go. Amelia Mitrot. Hey, y'all. I'm Amelia. This is the first time for me also, so what's up? <laughs> this is a story about how The Rock saved my love life. Full disclosure, I love The Rock. Like, Dwayne The Rock Johnson. Any fans? Yes. Okay. Oh. I'm not alone. I was like, don't judge me. Um, so I have always loved The Rock, like as long as I can remember. Um, I think in third grade, I actually handed out like rock-themed Valentines to people. Like, you know, that exchange that you do with like, those cheesy little Valentines you buy at the grocery store? They were The Rock for me. Um, I watched like The Scorpion King a million times. I have always been a fan. So you can imagine my absolute delight when freshman year of college... I went to a Halloween party, and I met The Rock. I know. <laughs> it was actually just a dude who looked a lot like The Rock. <laughs> so I didn't drink or anything in college initially. I was like, oh, I'm such a nerd, and I don't know how to drink. But I geared myself up for Halloween, because it's my favorite time of year. I'm a Halloween baby, so I got to go out for Halloween. And I'm standing there, and I'm looking around at everybody in their costumes, and it's very exciting. I can't really hear anything over the very loud frat boy music. And I see this guy walk into the party, and he's like six foot five, just this giant dude, and he's dressed as The Rock. And you're like, okay, well, what does that really look like? He's literally wearing nothing but like black boxers. I don't think they were boxers, actually. They were briefs. Um, they were briefs. Can confirm. He had like lace up black boots. He had like the shades and his hair gelled. He didn't have tattoos, but that's okay. Um, and so, as you can imagine, I was just standing there like, this is real. Uh, I was starstruck, <laughs> even though he wasn't the real thing. Um, and so I was like, how can I, how can I talk to that guy? I am just a nerdy freshman, but <laughs> I gotta talk to him. So a friend of mine who actually knew him, I don't know how she did, she was like, oh, you should come meet this guy. And I was like, oh, okay. I don't know what I said to him. I don't remember, honestly. I was just like, oh my gosh, he's so beautiful. And he looks just like The Rock. <laughs> um, <laughs> we chatted briefly. I was my awkward freshman self. And then I went home and immediately did what any good millennial will do. And I Facebook stalked him. Like, hardcore Facebook stalked him, saw pictures of him and his beautiful Swedish girlfriend, who was, like, six foot two. And I was like, all right, well, at least I know he exists, and that's cool. And I just kind of it locked in the back of my mind. Fast forward a year later, uh, I'm not dating The Rock, unfortunately, but... <laughs> I'm doing well in school. Everything's going great. I got involved in a lot of activism at school. 
continue to do that as much as I can. And I also started to do a very millennial thing, which was online dating. I went to a really small liberal arts school in Richmond, Virginia, and there wasn't a whole lot going on on my campus. I always felt very out of place, so I was like, maybe online dating will kind of expand my parameters, get me out into the city of Richmond more, which is exactly what it did. And I met this guy named George. George was super charming. Uh, He was a med student at the school downtown Richmond. Uh, And for me, as a 20-year-old, that was a total upgrade. (laughs) He was able to buy me alcohol, which I felt very excited about. Again, I was a nerd. I wasn't drinking. Um, And so we got along really well. Super charming. He would take me on these really nice dates. He would bring me back things from his travels when he went traveling with his family. And so I felt like the luckiest girl in the world. But... You know, like any relationship, there's always going to be things that you kind of have to sort out together, right? So first things first, George was about five foot nine. I'm six foot two. Uh, You know, it's shallow, but it's a personal preference. Um, He was also a very conservative Christian. His family was from India. I am a very white atheist. Um, So that was kind of a mismatch. (laughs) Uh, So we kind of had to work that out, and I definitely tried to expose him to some more liberal ideas while I could. One of those being um, feminism in particular. (laughs) I know, wasn't something that was on his radar, believe it or not. Uh, So I brought him to this show that I was in that year called The Vagina Monologues. I, uh, I love that show. I got super involved in it in college. And so I brought him, and that was a particular year that I did a monologue that involved me having an orgasm on stage. So I really just wanted to throw him out of his comfort zone. Um, he was very nervous about attending the show, but afterward he was like, that was actually really great. Like, I, I learned some things. And I was like, oh, you know, I'm so happy for you. And so we were dating for a while. And I got involved in racial activism on campus, too, so particular to issues of racism on our campus. And I was invited to be part of this panel uh, of people to speak about race on our campus. So I show up to the panel, and I meet the other panelists. One of them is The Rock. And (laughs) I was just like, oh, he's really cute still. He's not dressed up as The Rock, but it's okay. Still looks good, fully clothed. Um... And we got to talking because we were on the panel together. And shortly thereafter, we became friends on Facebook, which basically means you're friends in real life, right? (laughs) And he and I started chatting about things. And we're like, oh, this was such a great panel. We kept up the conversation. We got involved in other things on campus together. But I slowly began to realize that my interest in him was probably a little more than it should have been while you're dating someone else. I definitely felt really guilty about it. I was like Facebook chatting The Rock while I was talking on the phone with my boyfriend. But uh, yeah, that's bad. Um, (laughs) So I had some decisions to make, right? Things weren't going super well with my boyfriend at the time. He was actually doing really poorly in med school. So he was, you know, working overtime to try to get back on track. And uh, I didn't have a whole lot of time to spend with him. And the time we did spend was kind of fraught because we were both really stressed out. And so I would just talk to The Rock whenever I felt lonely. And I was like, this is bad. This is really bad. So I decided to break up with George. I know, poor George. 
Um, and I started hanging out with The Rock like the next day. I'm not proud. I'm really not. Um, <laughs> and I was, it was, it was one of those fantasies because I was always a nerd and he was like this really cute football player, like big boy on campus. Everyone loved him. So I was like, well, this is my one shot to actually hang out with this guy. He's really cool. He's going to graduate in like two months. Might as well. A week later, George called me and I was like, oh man, this is going to be unfortunate. What's, what's up? And he goes, so I really just wanted to be honest with you about some things. And I was like, okay, you know, that's fine. And he goes, so you remember how I told you I broke up with someone like a couple months before we started dating? Yeah, I remember. And he was like, so I never actually stopped seeing her. And I was like, I'm sorry, what? (laughs) So he had been cheating on me for the entirety of our relationship, which now makes sense because he was flunking med school. Like, you just can't keep up that many relationships. And so I was like, all right then, Uh, hung up the phone. (laughs) Hadn't really spoken to him after the fact. And then promptly went and hung out with The Rock. We had a great two-month relationship, might I add, before he graduated. Um, But really the most satisfying thing to me was, two years later, I'm still friends with The Rock. We still chat occasionally. Um, But I learned that my ex-boyfriend, George, he decided to pick what realm of medicine he was going into. And he is a gynecologist. I take full credit for that. (laughs) Thanks, guys, very much. All right, last stories of the evening. First up, I'm sorry if I murder your name, but the name I have down is Alexa Passeri. Yeah, clap for Alexa Passeri. Hi, my name is Alexa, and I work for the CIA. I'm just kidding. I <laughs> Okay, normally, I, but I seriously, I've never gotten up and done this type of thing in Madison. Um, Normally I just tell people what the weather is and I play music for them. I order things from Amazon. Um, So if you, I know that there are a lot of different ages in the room. Um, So who here doesn't know what an Alexa is? Okay, so it's me. I'm Alexa. Um, Somebody also just won an Alexa. And again, I I haven't come up here, but I was thinking about a story that I was going to tell. I told my roommate, but then I said, I can't really tell it because it happened while I was in college and I couldn't go because of something that happened in college. And then I realized I should tell the story about why I couldn't go. Um, And I, I was a theater kid. I minored in theater in college. So thanks, thanks, Zach. Um, according to Zach, because I was a theater kid, I was horny <laughs> or, or am, but I don't like nuts. I'm really deathly allergic to nuts. So I, <laughs> and that's, that's kind of the theme of my story. Um, so I did a summer of ballroom dancing and there was an event during the year that was like a snowflake ball. And at the time, I was seeing someone who was about to graduate. And we were like, let's just go to this ballroom dance event. And there was going to be food there. And being that I'm deathly allergic to nuts, I always send my email like, hey, is there gonna, are there going to be any nuts at the party? <laughs> like, like, I'm kind of deathly allergic. 
um, it, it's totally fine. If you do, I just won't go. Because, like, sometimes the airborne thing is, is a problem. Sometimes it's not. So my friend Angelia Wang was hosting the event. And she said, no, there's going to be no nuts. Like, I'm doing all the catering. Like, she was basically cooking the food. So we get there. there are ton- there's tons of food. It was really great. And because I'm a horny theater kid, <laughs> um, me and my boyfriend at the time find another room in the building and um we do you know we do the theater kid thing and so we we, (laughs) so we return to the party and um i'm really really red i have like so i have that afterglow and I see Angelia from across the room and she's dancing and she sees me and she just like spins and dances across the room and she goes, oh my God, Alexa, have you eaten nuts? Where's your EpiPen? And she's freaking out. And I'm just like, uh, and Kurt is cracking up and I just finally muster an answer and I'm like, this is a really old building. I don't think the ventilation is really good in here. Like I'm just like really warm or something. So then that happens and then... Um, (laughs) then the next day, Kurt says to me, Hey, that was really fun. Let's go out dancing. So at the time I didn't have a bag like this. Um, this is really convenient. If you go out dancing, you stick your EpiPen in here, you stick your phone and whatever. And I had this really tiny purse. I was wearing a skirt, didn't have pockets. So I was like, I'm not going to eat any food. I won't bring my EpiPen. So we, you know, do the theater kid thing before we go out dancing that night (laughs) And while I'm on the dance floor, my palms start to get really itchy. And I start to get really, really itchy. And I'm like, this isn't the afterglow feeling. I think I'm going into anaphylactic shock on the dance floor. And it turns out Kurt had had a peanut butter smoothie 12 hours earlier. So I get to the hospital, and I have to take an injection of epinephrine on the way there. And the way that EpiPens work is that even if you're kind of fine, you have to be monitored for like... Um, maybe six hours or so. So I was in the hospital, and I subsequently missed my great-grandmother's funeral. And, yeah, so Edith Han, she was 98 years old, and she passed away in her sleep. That's how I want to go. I don't want to have a reaction and, and die that way. So Edith, wonderful lady. I'm originally from New York. Um, she spent most of her life in Brooklyn, as did my mom. So I don't have much of an accent, but um, in my house at home in New York... Uh, when my, when my mother, Deborah, gets mad, it's, um, you know, the Brooklyn comes out and it's like, get in the car! And I'm like, okay, all right. Okay, so you run into the car. Anyway, so fast forward, we're at the funeral. Or we're not at the funeral. I'm not at the funeral. But this is the story I heard and what I thought about maybe telling tonight. And I'm going to speed it up. So get to the funeral. Um, Edith is in her casket. There's a beautiful photo of her on the casket. And my mom says to her, her sister, she says, uh, take the picture because they're about to, the, to close the casket and we want this picture of my great-grandmother Edith. So my aunt starts whipping out her cell phone. My other aunt whips out her cell phone and they're taking pictures of the dead body. And my mom was like, no, 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 take the picture. So that's incident one. Then they got to the church or something. I, I think it's a church that they went to with a priest, right? That's... Okay, sorry. I quit religion when I was like eight, so I don't know. Anyway, so they get to the to the church in um, in Brooklyn, and my older sister is very 
Yeah, she's very busty, I guess, is the right word. So she's wearing this super low-cut shirt, and the priest wouldn't give her communion because he insisted that she was really... She just didn't look church-dressed. So then they get to the funeral. My mom's really frustrated because of the episode with the priest. My aunts are really confused about the whole picture-taking episode. And my uncle, Dominic uh, Stefano is there, and my mom sees him, and he's standing across from me to the, the casket, and it's about to be lowered down, and people are throwing in flowers like, bye, Edith, love you so much. And my uncle Dominic reaches in, and he starts grabbing the flowers. And my Aunt Judy is on the opposite side of the casket. She's Dominic's wife, and was like, Dominic, where are you going with those flowers? And my uncle Dominic, who's like, he's just a crazy, wonderful person, um, he goes, what do you think Edith's going to do with the flowers? I'm going to press them. And then it starts raining. and He's running away with the flowers. My aunt dodges everyone else, the coffin, runs over to, to try to catch him. And I just, like, the story goes that Dominic is, like, scurrying away. He's, like, I don't know, maybe 68 at this time with the flowers. And my aunt Judy's just running after him, like, Dominic! And it's just a whole New Yorker episode. Um... And I guess that's, that's my story. So thank you. Well, there you go. Hope you enjoyed Story Slam, the college years. A lot of great stories in this episode. Hey, speaking of great stories, our next Story Slam event is this coming Saturday, April 15th. And the theme is Here Goes Nothing. So come tell a story about how you pressed on and did something you weren't sure you wanted to do. Uh, and then May 20th is our Story Slam after that. Theme for that is death, sex, and money. Uh, and then after May is our two-month break, and we'll be back in August. Uh, big thanks to Ale Asylum for sponsoring Story Slam. And, hey, we hope to see you come out to a couple events, and we'll see you next time. <laughs>